Happy Monday and welcome to Not Boring. We have an exciting announcement to make here today at Not Boring slash Not Boring Capital HQ, which I think you can probably guess from the title of this episode, but you're going to have to hold on for just a second while we talk about today's sponsor, Masterworks. Last week, I made a confession to you. I can't stop investing in art. Aside from investing in startups, it's one of my favorite asset classes. Now, it started small. I invested in Basquiat's Loin in 2020, and I got hooked. Today, there are 10 paintings in the Not Boring portfolio. Instead of breaking that addiction, my New Year's resolution is to double down and buy as much art as possible, because I believe that art is a key part of a balanced portfolio, and that it's a great hedge against market volatility for my otherwise startup and crypto-heavy portfolio. So here's why. UBS reports that two-thirds of high net worth collectors buy art for an expected ROI, real assets like art appreciate well during periods of high inflation, and blue-chip art prices outpace the S&P 500 from 1995 to 2021, according to Citi. But even though I'm bullish, I don't throw down $100 million at auction. I couldn't. I just use Masterworks. They're the fintech unicorn that lets you invest in multi-million dollar works at a fraction of the cost. And they have the results. They've sold two paintings that netted their investors a 30% plus IRR in 2020 and 2021. Their offerings tend to sell quickly. A couple weeks ago, I tried investing in their new $7.4 million Banksy painting, but it sold out in less than three hours and I missed out. So no time like the present. If you want to join me on the platform and get priority access, you can go to masterworks.io slash not boring. That's masterworks.io slash not boring. And for important disclaimers, see masterworks.io slash about slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Not boring capital, too fun, too boring. Now that theme song that you heard in the beginning was Luda and that was the theme song to Too Fast, Too Furious. And I had to steal it because today we're announcing Not Boring Capital Fund 2 a $30 million fund. The strategy for Fund 2 is similar to the strategy for Fund 1. Invest in the best companies across verticals, Web 2 and Web 3, Bits and Atoms, at any stage with a heavier concentration in earlier stages and help them tell their stories. Maximize winners, don't minimize losers. The average check size will just be bigger. I picked an interesting first year to do VC. While the funding environment seems a little wild, with the average valuations across stages at all-time highs and more companies getting funded than ever before, I firmly believe that the market is a reflection of the massive opportunities still ahead and the huge number of insanely talented people starting companies and the larger outcomes tech companies are achieving. Take the chart that I included in the post from PitchBook and MVCA's Q4 2021 Venture Monitor that shows kind of slightly up into the right from 2006 to 2020 and then shoots up in 2021. Frothy funding market, huh? Well, maybe, but that's not what this chart is showing. This is actually a chart of exits by year. Total exit value grew 168% from the previous best year ever in 2020 to $774 billion in 2021. And Stripe, ByteDance, and SpaceX haven't even IPO'd yet. Venture funding has jumped too, to $329 billion in 2021, but not by nearly as much as exits. In fact, the 2.3x exit value to deal value ratio is the highest in any year since 2006, except for 2012, the year that Facebook went public. Investors and employees are pulling more money out than they put in by the second widest margin ever. Obviously, that might just mean that fueled by low interest rates and an active money printer, the public markets are behaving as irrationally optimistically as the private ones. As rates rise, like it looks like they might, it'll be interesting to see what happens to private valuations and exit opportunities. But you need to play the game on the field. 
Some not boring capital funds will invest in bull markets, and I'm sure that others will invest through bear markets. I can't wait. The long-term thesis that tech will compound to unimaginable heights remains the same in any market environment until proven otherwise, and bear market prices will be cheaper. The trick is staying alive and being able to raise funds in any environment. To that end, I'm incredibly lucky to be backed by many of the same investors as Fund One, including many of you, along with some great new investors. The not boring capital family is growing, and I want more not boring people involved. Now, the SEC imposes limits on that, like the absurd but unfortunately hard accredited investor rule, and the rule that says that you can either raise more than $10 million with fewer than 100 LPs or limited partners, the people who invest in funds, or raise less than $10 million from up to 249 LPs. For Fund 1, we hit the $9.9 .9 million cap with 133 LPs. A lot for a small fund, but not as many as I'd like. After deploying the $9.9 .9 million fund in six months, I wanted to go bigger for Fund 2. More money to invest and more LPs. So I worked with the one and only Gendra Dash at Angelus to set up a parallel fund structure, which puts all of the qualified purchases or people who have $5 million or more in invested assets in one fund, and then leaves more room in the 10,249-person fund for accredited investors. Having that room is really important to me. I've asked LPs who wanted to write bigger checks to keep them smaller, and turned down introductions to people who aren't not boring readers. I've said it before and I'll say it again. There wouldn't be a not boring capital without all of you reading and sharing and listening and giving feedback on not boring, so I want you in the fund. You can read the memo I wrote to raise the fund in the post at notboring.co. Now, the reaction for Fund 1 was overwhelming, and in case it is for this one too, I don't think I'll be able to fit everyone in, but I'll do my best. As with last time, I'm prioritizing women and minorities traditionally underrepresented on fund cap tables, longtime not boring readers, and people who have backed not boring syndicate deals in that order. Note, putting your wife's name and your own email address to qualify as a woman will get you automatically disqualified. I didn't think I need to say this, but over a dozen people did it last time. Kind of a catch-22. You wouldn't want to let anyone dumb enough to fall for that invest your money, would you? Now, if you're interested in participating and you're an accredited investor, and we need that rule to change, you can submit your interest at a link in the post at notboring.co. It's a big blue button. If you're in, I'll get back to you ASAP. I likely won't be able to get back to everyone. There were over 750 submissions last time, but know that I really appreciate the trust and support either way. Regardless of how many people we can get in, the other purpose of this email is to pull back the curtain on raising and running a fund. A couple years ago, when I worked at a venture-backed startup, I thought there was some magic venture capitalist knowledge that some very smart Stanford people had that the rest of us didn't or couldn't possess. I remember waiting for board meetings to let out so that we could learn what our VCs thought about our quarter, like Moses waiting for God to chisel those tablets. Turns out, we were all pretty much the same level of idiot. But like any industry, VC has a vocabulary and shared understanding that once you learn them, demystify the whole thing, which is why I want to share as much of this journey as possible. In July, in introducing Not Boring Capital, I shared the memo that I wrote to raise the fund and my first LP update. In October, in playing solo games, I shared my second LP update and went deep on Not Boring Capital's strategy as a small solo GP, or the word for one person investing the money in a fund. Today, we'll cover two things. One, the Not Boring Capital LP update, the third one that we've done, and this is the update that I sent my LPs last night, lightly redacted to keep private company information private. And then two, pushing out on the weirdness curve. An unintended consequence of Not Boring Capital's strategy is that I'm able to make weirder, riskier investments. So without further ado, Not Boring Capital LP update three. Hi, Not Boring LPs. 
Happy New Year and welcome back for Not Pouring Capital, LP Update 3. There are a lot of familiar faces here and some new ones. Welcome. This update's going out to LPs in both Fund 1 and Fund 2. Not Pouring Capital makes the most sense when you think about it as one, hopefully long, line of connected funds. Now let's kick this update off with some good news and some bad news. First, the bad news. We've slowed down our pace. After making 59 investments in Q3, we only made 48 investments out of Fund 2 in Q4. We invested $8.4 million for an average of $175,000 per investment. This seems to be about the right pace for an outpouring capital. As you'll see below, we've been able to keep our bar high while investing bigger checks in more companies, even as we've moved our mix a little bit earlier. Over time, I expect the average check to get a little bit bigger, and the committed pipeline for Q1 averages around 290 k and the proportion of follow-ons to increase, which will keep the number of new companies in each fund from ballooning too high. Now the good news, we've already had our first fund to liquidity event. Our position is worth $3.8 million at current prices, up 15x for an IRR of around 6.7 billion percent, which is a joke, but also actually what the number is. Now this one seems like a weird outlier, and it is, but I also think it's a really good representation of the fund strategy in action. I'll explain further below. December was the most active month in Upborn Capital's long and storied nine-month history. If this pace holds, we'll end up deploying the fund in closer to nine months than 12 months. Expect the capital call for the second 50% in February. So in today's update, we'll cover the Fund 1 review and update, Fund 2 portfolio stats, and a bit of a Q1 preview. Now let's get to it. Fund 1 review and update. We wrapped up Fund 1 with 91 investments totaling $9.2 million across 89 companies with two follow-ons in Fund 1 companies out of Fund 1. We invested most of our capital on the early side, 43% of companies valued at under $50 million, but also put 19% to work in companies valued above $250 million. I believe that these will provide a stable base as our riskier earlier investments take time to mature and play out. In terms of vertical mix, it came right down to the wire, but FinTech edged out Web3 by dollars invested, while Web3 edged out FinTech by number of investments. And there's charts in the email if you want to go take a look at the whole thing. But ultimately, performance is what matters, and returns will decide the winner. Speaking of which, we only started investing nine months ago, in April, and the average age of our investments is about five months. But we're already starting to see some early results, with 10 markups, priced or safe, and a token offering, Braintrust. The largest markup, which hasn't been announced, is more than five times higher than we invested at just three months ago. Now, markups aren't cash in the bank, and the market's hot, but it's a good start. Most of the deals haven't been announced yet, but one has. In November, A16Z led a $7 million seed round in party round at more than two times where we invested in April. We've also seen our first markdown, but it's one that I'm actually excited about. After struggling to raise a large round, the founder decided to recapitalize the business and refocus on product in a self-serve go-to-market motion. We participated in the recap out of Fund 2 alongside existing investors. Where it shakes out is that we own a much larger position in a more focused and re-energized business. More details to come in future updates when this is more public. We also have a handful of portfolio companies somewhere between kicking off fundraising and signed term sheets. If you're interested in leading the next round for any of the Fund 1 companies, check out the full list, which I linked in the email, and let me know if there are any companies you'd like to speak with. No guarantees that any companies open intros, but I'll try my best. Now, since Fund 1 is fully deployed, this will be the last time it gets its own section, and we'll move to having a markup section that spans funds for future updates. Fund 2 Portfolio Stats. 
As a reminder, Fund 2 will be a $30 million fund running a similar strategy to Fund 1, but with larger check sizes, more follow-ons as Fund 1 companies break out, and the benefit of a fund's worth of wisdom under our belt. I linked to the memo in the email for those of you who haven't read it. We began committing out of Fund 2 in early October after fully deploying Fund 1, so we had one full quarter under our belt. In Q4 2021, we invested $8.4 million in 48 companies, DAOs, and protocols for an average investment of $175,000. We've been aiming to deploy 75% of our dollars in core investments, which are each should be able to return the fund, 5 to 10% in Explore, which are checks to get to know earlier stage companies, and 15 to 20% in growth, later stage companies that collectively should be able to return the fund once. So far, we're right in line with 72.5% of dollars in core, 6.9% in explore, and 20.6% in growth. I also have a link to all 48 companies and some very small screenshots in the email if you want to go check those out. We started out with a slightly lower average check size than we're targeting, which is about 250 to 300k, but our average investment size will increase over the next month. We've invested or committed $4.65 million across 16 deals in Q1 2022, most of which we committed last quarter, for an average of $290,000 per deal. That's right in range for the target check size we're aiming for for the remainder of the fund. Stage mix. Our investments continue to shift earlier, with over half or 56% very early, and by that I mean kind of under $50 million, 18% early, which is under $250 million, and 26% later stage. And there's a graphical look of all of our logos around kind of where they fit uh, in terms of stage in the email. Now that I'm getting my feet under me and honing in on certain verticals where I'm more active and knowledgeable, I expect that we'll continue to lean a little earlier than we did in fund one, where both the risk and potential returns are a little higher. Vertical mix. Last quarter, I wrote that Web3 will continue to be our biggest category for the remainder of fund one and certainly into fund two. And that has certainly been the case. Roughly one-third of our investments and our dollars invested have gone into Web3 startups, including projects that will decentralize and launch a token. The fun part about investing in Web3 projects is that they often build in public, with the data and progress on display for all to see. Our Web3 companies have been on fire. Instead of writing up all 48 companies in the portfolio, I think like three of you read that doc last time, I'm going to steal a page out of Shrug's book and pick one category to focus on. This quarter, that category is, of course, Web3. If you've been reading Not Boring, you'll know that I've spent more and more time writing about Web3. I've laid out what I think is interesting about the space broadly, about specific large protocols, but I haven't discussed why I think the category is compelling from a venture perspective. It seems like every traditional fund is scrambling to become a Web3 fund. Some of that is the investment dynamics, getting to liquidity more quickly with a token sale juices IRR. A lot of it is hype and FOMO. Maybe they saw the Uniswap returns in every crypto funds fundraising deck and wanted to get some of those. But for me, the exciting part of Web3 venture investing in particular is that Web3 reopens the playing field in very big categories and creates entirely new ones. I'll explain by going over some of the Web3 investments that we've made and that have been public about their traction. So take music. If you were to take a traditional approach, there's almost zero chance of building a very big business when Spotify and Apple exist. Tidal was backed by tons of big name artists and it barely made a dent. But Web3 opens up new attack vectors. For example, it can help artists better price songs to fill up the dead space under the demand curve. Not everyone values every song at 99 cents or some fraction of 9.99 a month. Form stronger communities with their biggest fans, then get paid. That's what Sound is doing. Sound, which lets musicians sell their songs as NFTs to their biggest fans, has been on fire in its first month. 
It's 5 p.m. drops have become appointment internet, and it sold out its first 21 consecutive drops in under a minute each and paid out over $200,000 to artists. Plus, they get a 10% cut of secondary transactions, which have been very active. It would have taken 60 million streams for the artists to make that much money on Spotify or Apple Music. Sound has done all this mostly with independent and less well-known artists. They're still in its preseason. It's going to start getting very fun when they turn on the Jets. Or take the metaverse. There's a version of the future in which Facebook and Meta owns the immersive digital spaces in which we spend our time, or where Roblox grows with its users to become the metaverse of choice. There's another in which we all create and own our own little pieces of the metaverse. That's the world that cyber is building. Cyber continues to be one of my favorite places on the internet and in the metaverse. The world's biggest and most visible NFT collectors showcase their collections and build their digital worlds with cyber, and their recent Space Pods collab with Artifact, which was just acquired by Nike, was a huge success. The floor for a pod is currently about 0.55 ETH. Ryan, Cyber's founder, is based out of Morocco and has strong views about both the art world and the future of digital worlds. For example, he believes that people shouldn't have to buy digital land from cyber, it creates false scarcity, but that everything else, from the galleries to the art they display to the music they pipe in, should be NFTs that they own and buy from each other. As people spend more time in cyber, it should create more demand for sound. I highly encourage you to check out some of the galleries from leading collectors like 6529 and Vincent Van Doe, which I linked to in the piece. Or take APIs. There's been an interesting debate over the past few days around centralized services in Web3, spurred by Signal founder Moxie Marlin Spike's post, My First Impressions of Web3. My stance is that most people don't care about total decentralization, but that they do want to be able to use many of the Web3 native primitives like NFTs and tokens. ThirdWeb builds APIs and SDKs on top of new and ever-changing batches of primitives to make it easier for developers to build Web3 apps. The pent-up demand was clearly there. It had a wildly successful launch in December with 4,000 likes on its announcement tweet and was the number one product of the month on Product Hunt. While early hype is sometimes useful and sometimes not, seeing the strong pull from the market is important in a category like APIs and SDKs where it pays to get in early and become the entrenched default. Lastly, take NFTs. As we've discussed many times in Not Boring, NFTs have exploded over the past year with tens of billions of dollars in volume. OpenSea was just valued at $13 billion. If you think NFTs are just funny, kind of overvalued digital art pieces, that deal alone would make you scratch your head. If you think, like I do, that art is just an easy to grasp and ultimately pretty small first use case, then there are going to be many, many multi-billion dollar businesses built around NFTs as a new asset class and primitive. Bridge Split, started by two genius Duke founders, Luke and Mary, is building a bridge between NFTs and DeFi letting owners fractionalize their NFTs, create indices, and borrow against them. That's a pretty big opportunity with art NFTs, but a hugely important set of tools as more things become backed by NFTs. In just three months, BridgeSplit launched its DevNet with over 1,500 fractionalized NFTs and signed exclusive partnerships with top Solana NFT projects, including MonkeyDAO. In the same vein, Abacus is an NFT appraisal protocol that's generated strong early traction. The crowds have been shockingly accurate at appraising thousands of ETH or millions of dollars worth of NFTs in the first couple of months. In just the past two weeks, they launched Abacus Spot to provide continuous spot appraisals and appraise the six NFTs that I put in there, including a punk, a mutant ape, Campbell's soup can, a cryptodes, and a cool cat. We were one of the few, if not the only fund in the round, which was mostly made up of NFT and crypto whales, because reading Not Boring was one of the things that pushed Medici to drop out of school and go all in on Web3. You can listen to the conversation that I had with him on Not Boring Founders, and I linked to it in the email. 
We're starting to see this more and more often with Web3 startups. People read Not Boring, jump into Web3, start companies, and reach out about investment. The companies described above are just the ones who have been the most public with their progress. We've also backed quieter for now companies and protocols, including Metaphor, Goals, Ceramic, Bonfire, Liquify, Once Upon, Mino, Startup Beat, Crypto Cities, Parcel, Gilded, and Y Media, many of which came in through founders reading and resonating with Not Boring. Each one has big things coming, and I can't wait to tell you more about them. Investing in Web3 seems consensus now, and prices in many cases reflect that, but there's opportunity out the weirdness curve for learning, reputation making, and returns. Q1 preview, which brings us to Q1. As mentioned, we're already off to the races in 2022, having invested or committed 4.65 million across 16 deals. We're taking some big swings in Web3, including going deeper on projects that use Web3 tools to solve complex problems. We're making our third and biggest bet on an open door 2.0 company, which is a housing acquisition with a kicker to smooth demand and increase margins after summer and sunbound in Q4. We're going deeper into climate after investments in Watt Carbon and Carbon Title. The Chris Sock episode on 20VC got me fired up and I'm starting to read more. If you want to read more, check out Ministry for the Future, which is a realistic near future sci-fi and how to avoid climate disaster by Bill Gates. And also if you have any, send Rex and companies. And we'll keep making risky investments appropriately sized. We'll also begin hiring a team. It's been fun being truly solo, but we can do a lot more with a few excellent people involved. I'm already beginning to think about what Fund 3 might look like, and I'm getting excited about the possibilities. Thanks for coming on this adventure with me. As always, if you have questions or feedback, feel free to reach out. So that was the LP update that I sent yesterday, Sunday night, and it was the actual audio that I sent. I was able to just not record twice. That's the beauty of being kind of fully transparent here is that I could just reuse the same audio. So anyway, last section from today's email, pushing out on the weirdness curve. There's a theme from the LP update that I want to expand on here, taking advantage of the unique attributes of the fund to make weirder, riskier investments. In October, I wrote a long piece about the fund strategy called Playing Solo Games. In it, I wrote a three-part diagnosis to set the stage for the strategy. One, maximizing winners is better than minimizing losers. Two, the rules of the game are different for a small solo fund like Not Boring Capital. And three, the newsletter is our unfair advantage. I need to protect it to make it good. The rules of the game are different for a small solo fund like Not Boring Capital. In the piece, I expanded on that, explaining that we don't lead, we don't sit on boards, we can piggyback off of larger funds' resources and diligence, and ultimately that we're structurally set up to be able to invest in a lot more of the most credible companies and therefore give ourselves a better chance to not miss the biggest winners. The thing that I missed that I want to add to fund strategy for fund two is that Not Boring Capital's unique attributes also mean that we can get weirder than other funds. Earlier in the post, I wrote about a deal that turned 250K into 3.8 million in a couple of months. On the surface, the investment seemed like an anomaly, something that would be incredibly hard to replicate. But as I thought about it, the investment was a direct result of the fund strategy. It was weird. When I told other investors about it, most of them turned it down. If it had gone wrong, I probably would have looked like an idiot. If I were only making 20 or even 50 investments out of the fund, there's almost no chance I would have done it. But since we've been making around 100 investments per fund, we have more room to get weird and make bets that others might not. We'll have more investments go to zero than other funds, but the hope is that we'll catch more of the companies and projects with outlier upside returns than the other funds too. We have a lot of advantages as a small nimble fund with a solo GP in a non-institutional LP base. I talked a lot about them in the last update, and one of the ones I didn't mention, but I, that I think is key, 
is that we can and should make riskier, weirder investments than other funds can, even if they should. That might mean fund investments in silly-seeming DAOs. It might mean more investments in climate. It might mean things with more regulatory risk that most entrepreneurs and investors wouldn't want to touch. Now, VCs have gotten a bad rap recently. I think, and I'm obviously biased here, that most of it is undeserved. At its best, VCs funnel resources to the risky projects that no other capital source could or would touch. It's only when those weird bets pay off that it looks like the VCs were greedy all along. Bringing up Solana has become an LP update email tradition, but it's illustrative here once again. In Solana Summer, I wrote about the challenge that Solana founder Anatoly Yakovenko had raising money in 2017. I wrote, it wasn't obvious back then that this would work. One VC I spoke with showed me a calendar invite for a December 2017 coffee meeting with Anatoly to discuss the project. After the coffee, he passed. There was a lot of competition to be the next big blockchain. This VC told me, you had Definity, Polkadot, Tezos, and Cosmos, all of which had lots of hype and lots of funding. Some crypto funds saw the vision and committed, but by the time the wires were due, the crypto market started to crumble. All of Solana's would-be backers pulled out. Now today, with Solana's fully diluted market cap sitting at $70 billion, one of the biggest knocks against it is that it's VC-owned and that the VCs behind Solana are just in it to pump and dump. That's bullshit. The bet that funds like Race Capital and Multicoin made back in 2018, in the middle of crypto winter and a sea of on-paper stronger competitors, was so far from a sure thing as to be insanely weird and risky. Without their money, Solana may never have gotten off the ground or developed the thriving ecosystem it is today. They've been appropriately rewarded for being weird and right. Even as the markets democratize and individuals are often able to invest in Web3 projects at the same time and same terms as VCs, which is an incredible development, there's still an important role for VCs who are willing to put their research, credibility, resources, and piles of money behind the weird, risky stuff that moves the world forward. That's my goal for Fund 2, to push further out the weirdness and risk curves than I did in Fund 1 to help make the wild, amazing stuff happen. Join me. This is going to be fun. So thanks so much for listening. Thanks for being a part of this journey so far. We're just getting started. Have a great week, and I will see you on Thursday. Too fast for y'all, man.